Welcome to Single Minded. I am your host, Hannah First. And I'm your co-host, Linda. So, Hannah, you've been going through a bit of an egg freezing journey in the last week and I know you're feeling pretty average. I don't want to do this. I don't want to be here. Not long to go. (gasps) But we're locked down in Melbourne. I think most of the country's locked down, but we've got another two weeks with curfew. So I guess you're not feeling overly bothered by it because you can feel tired and sick in bed without any guilt. I still feel guilty. I, for those, we're doing a whole episode, but I, we will record the episode after all the medications and whatever. So I'm in the thick of it right now. It's like I have every single, um, my brain's not working either. I have every single side (laughs) effect. I can't, my words have lost me. So I've got like, sore boobs. I've got big bloated, distended stomach. I'm nauseous every morning. How how have my moods been, Linda? Uh, yeah, no comment. <laughs> I have been so angry and upset and crying. Short and impatience. Very impatient and everything everyone's doing is annoying me. Just literally every side effect list. Oh, going to sleep at 5 p.m. and then waking up at midnight. Like I'm so tired. But I think it's because I've got between 40 and 45 follicles. So I think everything is heightened because there's so much, so many hormones. You're a hormonal mess. I'm a mess. Hey, I want to talk about a different series, but have you seen any of Modern Love on Amazon? Yes, I did. So yeah. I thought of you. I started watching the night one, ep two, <laughs> and I haven't watched it's all me. of it. But it was looking a bit like you. It was she's very cute. a bit more extreme. She goes to bed at nine a.m., but pretty similar. Like although yeah. since the egg freezing, my sleep is a little bit better. So I got up at mm. nine thirty or ten today, which is pretty early for me. Yeah. She was getting up at 5 p.m., which was, that's insane. Like I get up in the a.m., like 11, 10, 11 a.m., not 5 p.m. is pretty insane. Anyway, I'll be glad when this is over, perhaps on the weekend, and you can unblock your low energy, which I'm not used to. Oh, my God. I haven't actually really seen much of you. No, I haven't seen or spoken to anyone. (laughs) I've been in bed a lot of the time. Now, someone messaged you to let me know that Doron from Fowder is in a new series. Yes. And yes, thank you. I didn't know that was on and I am obsessed with Fowder and Doron, the lead character. And just a reminder. <laughs> you don't you even like bald men. That's what I don't well, if you haven't, <laughs> If you haven't heard me talk about him before, Doron is bald, short, stocky, <laughs> maybe a bit squishy, but very sexy. I know you don't agree. I don't so agree. He's, he's back in a new, it's actually nine episodes, which is a funny number, and it's called Hit and Run on Netflix, and he's playing a guy called Segev, and I don't want to give anything away, but his wife is killed in a mysterious hit and run, and he is searching for the answers. But I am having a real problem because I can't think of him as anything but Doron, and I don't like it when they call him Segev. I'm just sitting there going, no. And I think that he's playing a similar type. So I don't care what movie or series he does from now on, call him by his correct name, Doron. (laughs) And 
I started watching it with you and the thing that I couldn't get over was how hot you think he is because he, in oh my, my mind, he's stunning. not hot. <laughs> stunning, no. He's definitely not stunning. I mean, he's I, sex appeal, but he's just not your type at all. No, he's a ball of sexy energy anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Big dick energy, is that what you're saying? Well, I don't, I don't know about that. I don't want to go down that. Path. Big dick energy is an energy, mum. It's not actually. Oh, it's a big not about the appendage. Good. Yeah. Well, then he has that. Yes. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, today um, I'm chatting to Rebecca Campbell. She wrote a book, 138 Dates. So we'll get into the interview and see you after, Linda. A big thank you to this week's sponsor, Normal. Normal makes amazing sex toys easy to buy and learn. So finding the best sex toy for you can be overwhelming because there's so many options online. But what Normal does that I think is really awesome is they help you find a personalized recommendation. So they've got a quiz online, go do the quiz, see what satisfies you, see what toy would be great for you. And the best part about it is that it's a regret-free experience. So they've got a 100-night stand guarantee, which gives you 100 days and nights with the toy that you've chosen. And if you don't love it, you'll get a full refund and they won't ask any questions and they'll also give you a recommendation based on your feedback. Go check out the website. As I've said previously, I can't recommend Quinn enough. That is a magic little vacuum as I call it. So go check out the quiz, go check out the website. Single-minded listeners will also get 20% off the entire order. So use single-minded 20 as the promo code at checkout. And you can go and check out their amazing range of toys at itsnormal.com. So now on to the episode. I'm really excited to welcome Rebecca Campbell to the podcast. She just published her first book, 138 Dates, which I just cannot wait to get into this. Welcome to the podcast. Hello. Thank you for having me. I would really love to start with a little bit about yourself and what you do for work. Sure. I mean, I, well, I've always kind of started my own company. So I first started a business straight out of university. I was really into music and I started managing this band, little band from Brisbane called George. It was a long time ago now, but um, Katie Noonan was the lead singer. Anyway, we had a bit of success and then I managed a whole bunch of other bands, Matt Corby and Evermore, probably kind of two big ones. Mm -hmm. And then I got to 30 and I was like, I can't go to gigs the rest of my life, you know, and hang around backstage of the big day out. So I was like, oh my God, backstage, big day out. My dad was in the music industry as well. That is a good time. Who doesn't want to do that forever? It was fun. It was fun. But I was, I did get to a point where I was like, I'd done it for six or seven years. And I was like, I need to do something else with my life. I can't see myself doing this when I'm 50. And so then I was like, okay, the social network movie had come out. And so I thought tech would be really interesting. And so I had originally an idea in music, which was a bit of a disaster. It was around fans selling tickets. But then I built an app, which was around shop recommendations, which evolved into Hey You, which is now the largest mobile ordering and payments app for cafes. So I built that business, um, me and a co-founder. And I kind of exited it in 2000. 17 I think so I had my daughter in 2016 and then a year later I left business is still running it's doing pretty well 
and I've just been figuring out what I want to do next. I think I'd, I've done some consulting and then I've spent the last year writing a book. Well, I would love to get into some of the themes of the book. So you didn't go on a date in 10 years. Yeah. How did that happen? How did you kind of get to the 10-year mark and go, oh, it's been 10 years? So I mean, I, I had I did have love when I was young. So when I was 17, I met this beautiful man and, you know, he really kind of opened my eyes to the world and it was a beautiful, you know, early relationship. We were together for many years mm-hmm. and we were just really young and I just wanted to see the world and I don't know why, but I just, it was the wrong time for me. So we broke up and I still loved him. And he sadly was killed in a car accident, mm. you know, not long after us breaking up or you know, a couple of years after us breaking up. And so that devastated me and, and I had, was filled with regret and I just got stuck. I mean, I was grieving for sure for a, a long time. Mm-hmm. And then I kind of thought, well, if I found someone else, they had to be as good as him. And then that was just impossible because in my eyes had become perfect. And mm. otherwise I thought maybe I'd be disrespecting him or something. I don't know. And I carried him with me as well. I believed that he was like, we were essentially still in a relationship because I believed that he was with me and that was my way of kind of holding on to him. And then like the years clocked by and I just became more and more stuck. And then I built a profile in business and then I felt embarrassed about admitting that I hadn't had a boyfriend or that, you know, I felt terrified of putting myself on the internet, people seeing me and recognizing my name and going, oh, Rebecca Campbell, mm. she's such a loser. So so I just got stuck. And then 34 and a half, I remember it clearly, Christmas morning, and I woke up and I was staying on the floor, like in the garage of some friends of my parents on a fold-out bed, and it was the same kind of fold-out bed that I'd woken up on you know, Christmas time when I was like 10 years old and there used to be lots of other kids and all the other kids that, you know, had slept on that garage floor were all grown up and had their own families and I was still there. And I just thought, you know, I really, I'd always imagined I was going to have a family and love and I just thought that was going to be in my future. But obviously having not dated in 10 years, unless I did something major, that was not going to happen. And the clock was ticking as well, you know, as I was going to meet someone in time to have a family so that was when I kind of decided okay right you're going to go on one date every week for a year and that was my new year's resolution do you think in those 10 years like I know I felt this and other people have said this to me you kind of get into this and it's I've noticed it in my 30s you you get really stuck into a happy routine in your life and you're really busy Mm. and dating is effort and so you're like living in this you can't really be bothered, but you know that you have to put in effort if you want to meet someone. Did you kind of feel that you got into that cycle of, oh, I'm busy, I'll do it later? Definitely. I mean, I was I was afraid, definitely, both of dating. I was really afraid of getting rejected, I think. Yeah. And I just made myself busy. So I was really busy with work mm-hmm. and I'd go to networking events and I'd do yoga and I'd you know try and do social things to try and fend off loneliness and I think I did do that quite effectively until yep. the point where it crept up on me and I realized that, you know, it was like there was a big fear on one side of putting myself on the internet and of being rejected and then the fear on the other side <clears throat> of being alone for the rest of my life and I'm missing out mm. on having kids, which was really important to me. Mm. I think the second fear kind of, at, you know, 34 and a half, just kind of took over, overrid <laughs> the, the other fear. So it was like, okay, I'm now over the edge and the risk of missing out is now greater than the risk of, of all the other stuff that goes with dating. So that was what pushed me out there. 
what was it about the fear of rejection? Like what what were those fears based in? What did you think was going to happen? I think in order to protect myself, I think that I had told myself that I was attractive and that I was like, you know, special and that people would like me and stuff like that. And it was my story that I'd made up essentially in order to, I guess, mm. I don't know, feel okay about myself and given the fact that I had was was lonely. And I was really afraid that if I went on a date and I got rejected, then I might discover that I'm actually not attractive mm-hmm. or actually I'm not like interesting or the kind of woman that men want to be around. And I was just afraid because the story had really like propped me up. I didn't want to face the actual harsh reality of, you know, my essential like market worth, you know, like Mm. (laughs) I was scared of that. And I was scared of like men who I might not necessarily like, like judging me. And I just, Mm. I I found it hard and it was scary. And then when I I did get it rejected, I got rejected a lot in my days. (laughs) And it was really hard, really hard. It is. I I interviewed another (laughs) expert and he said the reason, and I didn't know this, I just was like, Every time I'd be rejected, I would just shut down and take a break from dating. Like I hadn't sort of built the resilience up to it. He was like, it activates the pain. Like it's the same areas of your brain that get activated as physical pain. So it actually is painful. And so that's, I was really just when I heard that, I was like, oh my God, that makes so much sense. Like rejection hurts. It really does. Yeah, (laughs) totally it does. So at 34 things change, you decided to go on a date every single week. What happened? Well, so at first I just put myself on eHarmony because I thought that was kind of like quite safe because not many people would see my profile. And, you know, there was so much that I learned just about how to do my profile and how to respond to messages and so on. But um, I set up a date quite quickly with this guy called Dan. I've changed the names, but I called him Dan in the book. And he was a sales manager for Vodafone, which is true. Mm-hmm. And he seemed really, um, I don't know, he seemed kind of quite normal. I'm sorry, there's a three-year-old in the background. <laughs> husband okay. is trying to keep him quiet, but you might hear some squealing in the background. Um, but we met, when we met at the, the winery for dinner, and it was just really nice. We actually had a really good conversation. And I remember at the end of the date, him saying, you know, I've got to tell you something like this is my first ever online date. And I was like, oh. really? You seem really confident. And I was like, yeah. I was like, this is my first online date. And he's like, <laughs> you seem confident. And he's like, I'm shitting myself. And um, it was really sweet. And we ended up going out another three or four times. And it wasn't a long-term match, but it made me feel a lot more confident about, okay, there are nice guys out there mm. that are looking for, you know, an emotional relationship too. And, you know, he wasn't quite right for me for lots of reasons, but made me feel more confident that I could potentially do this. Mm-hmm. Then there was like, then there was so many others. This, the second date was a disaster because we just were a very bad match. I mean, he was like a, I thought he was a game programmer. So I thought, oh, this guy's going to be really smart and interesting. And it turned out he was a gamer. So he like oh. played games at home at his parents' house and broadcast them on the internet. <laughs> and it was like, okay. No, he was really sweet though. He was really nice, but it was just awkward. We had nothing to talk about. And Mm. so then I was like, I've got to work out 
a better way, you know, how can I improve my process here? And so then I figured, okay, I'll do screening phone calls. So I started building all these different kind of rules and structures into the way that I managed my 52 dates that I had that year. So, you know, I, I would always talk to people on the phone before then so I could work out, you know, is there a good shot that this is going to be a relationship or that we're going to get along when we meet? And, you know, the third date was this lovely lawyer called Henry who was so good looking and we kissed and I was like, ah. Oh. And then he said, he was like, I'll call you tomorrow and then never call me again. Oh, that's just not so- <laughs> <laughs> Yes, because you, da- you wouldn't have done online dating before so you wouldn't have, like, that is super no. common. <laughs> yeah. I was just, I remember, like, s- just staring at my phone constantly yep. for three days and then I started texting him and then I thought maybe he lost his phone and um, <laughs> and he never replied to me and then I went to see my therapist because I got advice all the way through the journey from my therapist which her advice is all in the book but she told me um you know you got to think of yourself as a product and that someone is out there looking for you and just because yeah. this Henry guy didn't like you it doesn't mean there's anything wrong with you there's nothing wrong with the product it's just that he's shopping for something else or, and then she said, maybe he's not even shopping. Maybe he's not ripe. And then mm-hmm. she was like, this idea of a men, you know, go through their life often in their twenties and thirties and they're focusing on themselves and their careers and their friends. And then for a really short time, they'll go, okay, I'm ready to settle down. They'll look around for the right person. And he's like, you've got to find someone who's like, remember she said ripe like that, ready to be mm-hmm. picked. <laughs> and so she's like, maybe this Henry guy wasn't ripe or maybe he was looking for something else. It doesn't mean there's anything wrong with you. You've just got to find someone who's looking for you. And that did make the rejection, you know, a, a bit easier. It was still hard, but um, mm-hmm. yeah. And there was so, there was heaps of, I mean, there was 138 of them. So there was a lot more learning in that process, but that's just a few. Have you got any like stories where you met guys and and it was amazing? How did you kind of know it wasn't wasn't right? So there was this one guy who is a senator in the New South Wales Parliament who I was really excited about because he was a senator. Although, you know, there was all these warning signs that it wasn't right. Like, you know, we were different political spectrum and he didn't really listen to any of my opinions and then I didn't really say any opinions because I felt like you know I can't talk about climate change or mm-hmm. <laughs> refugees or anything because he's going to think something totally different to me but anyway we had this this really awkward um we went out for six weeks and then I was like right you know sex is a really scary thing when you haven't dated for 10 years you know it's a long time and I was mm. terrified of his expectations and was I going to lose him if I didn't? Would he think that I was like not into him or? And so I kind of like just rushed it on the six week, uh, six week date. I was like, right, you know, tonight. And then it was a total disaster. But yes, at that point I had named the babies and imagined the wedding. I'd kind of planned out our holiday at, and like I'd even missed someone on Airbnb about our summer holiday. It was like, <laughs> ridiculous. I was so like invested in the future. And then after the awkward sex, he never called me again. He was like gone. And he was awkward as well. Like he didn't know what he was doing either. So, but it was just like, it was a lesson about, you know, you got to talk about these things. And yes, but in hindsight, you know, I was, he was the wrong match for me anyway. And I was trying to be something else in order to, you know, in order to be the kind of person that he might want. And, you know, you obviously you can't keep that up for your rest of your life. So it never would have worked out. Yeah. Mm. 
Did you have any really awful dates that you were almost like, I can't do this anymore, I can't do this every week? Um, yes, definitely. I did have some awful ones. I had one that was just, uh, I we went out and then I knew there was something a bit off about him. He like looked really good. He's like tall, you know, like good looking stockbroker, but there was just something not right. And he offered to give me a ride home. And I would never normally have done this, but I was like, yeah, sure, give me, you know, and I, so I got into his car and then he would drove me around the block several times instead of like pulling into the right direction, you know, that I was telling him to go in. And then I like got out a few blocks from my house and ran home because I didn't want him to see where I lived. And then he mm. called me, kept calling and calling and calling. And in the end, I had to call the police and say, look, this guy's harassing me on the phone just like he wouldn't stop calling and I told him I called the police and then he just he didn't call anymore but um that was a little bit scary and there were some just like some other ones that were just a bit off Mm. but I've got to say overall most men you know were genuine nice people that were looking for an emotional relationship and for whatever reason a lot of them didn't call me again but the dates were all majority of them were really quite nice So you did mention that there was a lot of rejection and mistakes. Do you think that over time you became more resilient, you know, said you're in therapy, were there any things that you did to sort of help the sting of the rejection? Just like lots and lots of dates. Like the more I did it, the less the rejection hurt, I think. Mm -hmm. And thinking, okay, there's nothing wrong with me. I just haven't found the right person. And I did stay optimistic. Mm -hmm. I think that's just kind of like an inherent personality thing. I mean, it's similar to like when you start a business, you have to believe that it's going to work or else you never would do it because it's crazy and the chances are so low. Mm. So I think that probably is a personality thing. I always did believe that he was out there and that I would find him if I just kept looking. Mm. So you kind of treated it like starting a business, like you've got to keep putting in the hard work. Yep. 100%. I mean, I I even did a, like a, which is in the book, I sketched out a kind of sales funnel idea. So (laughs) (laughs) for those that don't, aren't in, I'm in marketing, so I'm in the sales funnel. So what, what were your different levels of like awareness down to the sale? Yeah. So I was like, okay, so Hey Use was the um, app that I was running at that time. So I was trying to find cafes that would pay for Hey You and that would be most likely to be successful. So we had all these different filters. And I was like, well, one thing is you need to have lots of candidates, the potential customers at the top of the funnel, right? Yeah. So then really good filters. Um, and so I was like, eHarmony is one channel. But I need, if you know, if a if business wants more customers, you look for more sales channels. And so I was like, I need more channels so I can get more candidates. <laughs> so then I can filter and, you know, potentially the ones that come down the very bottom of the funnel will be the absolute best quality. They're the ones that I'm going to invest time in dating. And so I added Tinder, I added um, RSVP, I signed up for classes, I asked friends for introductions. Yeah, after a while, I just got really like, I'm going to do this. And then I would always do screening calls, which I mentioned before. So I would Mm. do all my messaging online and on the apps on like, you know, maybe Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Thursday was always date night. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I would do dates on Fridays as well. And then Sundays, afternoons, I would do phone calls. So that was like three to five phone calls. Wow. It's like a full-time job. (laughs) (laughs) It really was like another job. But the thing is, though, you know, it's the most important thing. It's like I invest all this effort in my career, but actually, like, what I really want in my life is a relationship. I wanted love and I wanted a family. And 
Yeah. You know what? Like maybe that's not the you know the most coolest thing to say, but that was just being honest. Like that was what I wanted, mm. and so I like just went for it, mm. and I was prepared for it at the time. Do you think that the fact that you had that moment at Christmas? I mean, I've had those moments. Like it's been some sort of family event, and every, you know what I mean. Like those moments do happen. What do you think was kind of different about that? That time at thirty four, you were like. I'm going to be really honest with myself now and I'm actually going to take the action. It was like going from zero to 100, right? Yeah. I think I'd been gradually getting lonelier and lonelier mm-hmm. and my friends had been, you know, my friends had started to have children and I don't know, I just felt like as my friends coupled up and then had their own families, I definitely felt more alone and I definitely felt like Christmas time and that summer holiday break I would have no one to go on holiday with. Mm. And that was really sad. Like I would go on holiday by, my, by myself. Like I went to Bali by myself for New Year's Eve um, and I was in Gilly Tea on this random island all by myself. And that was the same summer just after Christmas. And I was just like, I can't, I don't want to live like this forever. And I imagined myself like at age 80 in an old people's home and being like no one coming to visit me <laughs> and, mm. and I'd missed out. And I thought, you know, for that, 80-year-old woman, I'm just going to – I want her to know that I've done everything that I can mm. to try and to try and figure this out. Was there every single week – so literally from that moment you had a date every week or you were dating someone? Yes, yes. I mean, so after the awkward sex, that was like <laughs> November 2012. And um, so that was like almost my end of my first year. So I'd done like 43, 44 dates, something like that. Yeah. And then I had a break after that because I was devastated. I was like, I couldn't eat. Yeah. I couldn't sleep. It was just awful. And so then I had a, I probably had a break until early the next year. And then, um, and then I started again. Started up again. Yeah. I went to New York that year actually too. And so I dated in New York. Yeah. I did like, I don't know, seven or eight months in New York dating and then came back to Sydney and then started up again. Yeah. Every couple of months after that. And I think that final year, 2014, I went really hard because I was 37. Okay. (laughs) Okay. So let's talk about that last year, what happened. And I guess I really want to know, I mean, I, I do know, but for the listeners, was there a happy ending? Oh yeah. There's a happy ending. (laughs) You can't write a book about your, you know, love story and not have a happy ending. Um, No. Yeah. So Mr. 138 is now, you know, my partner and we have two beautiful children. But, yes, there was a lot of learning through that, particularly that last, you know, through the whole thing really. But um, there was a really big kind of transformational moment right before I met him. It was definitely a journey of becoming the right person as much as finding the right person. It was both. I don't know if I'd met him like a year earlier, you know, would I be in the right place and would he have found, you know, would our date have gone the way that it went? I just, I don't, I don't know. Cause you, you basically were dating from 34 to 37. Yep. Is that right? Yep. Yep. So what was the first date like with your now partner? Well, it was, well, one, one thing is like, I mean, I told you before that I had my ex-boyfriend who was killed in the accident and I had been talking to him mm. right the way through since he died. Mm. I believed that he was with me. And then it was a moment that kind of came up and, I felt like I had to choose to believe that he wasn't with me anymore. You know, something triggered that. I didn't really know why, but I did choose to let him go. And that was when I met Rod. It was the next date after that happened. 
And I think at that point, so I don't know whether that was related or not, or if it was just a coincidence. I just started up again after that. It was my first date in, in like two weeks. And I, we'd had a screening call that wasn't particularly exciting. Mm-hmm. I was just like, oh, this is just another date. It was a Friday night. I remember it was really hot. And I was just like, I'm going to make this a quick, this is going to be a quick date and then home for dinner. And I remember thinking I'm going to buy Mad Max uh, on the way home because mm-hmm. I'm just going to have a drink with this guy. And then as soon as I saw him, it was like he was familiar or something. And then we we just had dinner. It was at the winery in Sydney. And we talked. We were just ourselves, mm-hmm. which I know it's really easy to say you've got to be yourself. But it was like a process of kind of becoming that comfortable that I was able to completely be myself. And we talked about his family. We talked about family connection. And I asked him, you know, what he like, what he did for a living and why. And he was a teacher and he talked about why he became a teacher. And he was really passionate about kids and inspiring kids and making kids feel like they were special and talented. And it was just like, I remember just thinking this is a really good man Mm. and it wasn't like um, God or something going like, you know, this is your one soulmate, you know, like the stars are all, you know, it wasn't like that at all. It was like a really nice conversation and he was a nice guy and I just remember looking at him and thinking, I'm going to make this work, like you're it. And, yeah, we had like we went dancing after dinner and we got a taxi and I kissed him on the cheek on the way home in the taxi. And then I remember yeah, I was just like I knew that we were done that date Mm. yeah (laughs) oh god all the hard work that you put in was worth it in the end it is and that's the thing it's like it's not like building a business is like Mm. you slog and slog and slog and you make incremental kind of improvements and you get Mm. you know more a bit bit of success here and there and it grows whereas this is like it's like a zero sum game you know like it's zero (laughs) And, you know, you can put all this work and you get nothing and you're still exactly where you started. And then, like, yeah. boom, you know, life is completely different mm. from one night. Like, it's amazing. Mm. You know, it's just amazing how quickly our lives changed and we fell in love really fast and then we um, we moved in after three months. We were pregnant three months after that. Wow. <laughs> Yeah, I've heard stories like that, that it's that it once it sort of happens, particularly at a certain age, it can move really quickly. Yeah. And it is like, yeah. it is just so, I mean, we talk about life being like BR and after, like BR is like, because he's Rod, Rod and Rebecca, so it was like before we met. Yeah. It's like a different life. It really <laughs> does feel like a different life. Mm. For people that are out there listening, I think that this is really like a story of love but also resilience. So if there's people out there that are just like, I just can't go on another date because it it can be really demoralizing out there and I think the rejection definitely doesn't help. Do you have one tip or sort of one thing that you would recommend for people that are just like, I can't do another date? Look, I mean, I think it's hard. It is hard. It's hard to get rejected but it's also hard because – a lot of the guys that you meet are just not, you know, they're not the guys that you necessarily want to spend the rest of your life with. And that can be also very depressing because mm-hmm. you wonder if there are any decent guys out there left, you know. Yeah. But they are out there. Like, <laughs> I mean, you just got to find, like, you know, Rod was just, he was, he'd come out of two long-term relationships and he was a few months out and it was just like right time. Like he was, you know, on the market kind of only for a small amount of time really. Mm. But they're they're out there. I think the one tip would be, 
to stay optimistic and to keep going and just, you know, it does take work because there is a lot of guys, you know, there are a lot out there that aren't necessarily the, you know, I don't want to say anything bad about them, but they're not necessarily the ones that you would choose to spend your life with. But there are some, there's some gold out there. Mm. You've just got to look really hard for it and believe that, you know, I always believed that my future, you know, husband would, was out there and he was looking for me or waiting for me. I was going to make his life amazing when I found him. And that kind of gave me, I don't know, but I kept that kind of hope up. And I also, I just believed it was a numbers game. I was going to find him and, and I did. And I think also another tip if I can is like, I went to like therapy was really useful to kind of unpick what I was going through and to kind of hold a mirror up to myself as well, because it was, you know, you do have to learn a lot about yourself to be the kind of person who can be successful in a long-term relationship. Like, you know, it is about compromise and it's about giving and it's about being like confident in your emotions and not going all crazy in your emotions when things, you know, because in those early stages in a relationship, you know, you can go a bit nuts because it's scary, but um, it's about being able to sit with that emotion and not go crazy. But yeah, it's just like, it's so good though. It's just, I feel like it must be illegal just waking up next to someone amazing every day and it's loving and, you know, planning the future. And mm. yeah, it's a beautiful thing. So it's totally worth it. Well, on that note, I really wanted to thank you so much for joining me today on Single Minded. Thank you so much for having me. And yes, good luck to everybody. I hope you enjoy the book too. So, Linda, what did you think? Well, I like her commitment to the task at hand. Don't just leave it to chance because... In my day, we had no internet, obviously, social media and mobile phones, so it was by chance. And I thought her comment, Rebecca and our leader, Dan, seemed to agree, go hard. Yes. (laughs) And I think, so I've had a couple of ideas. I think when life reopens, you need to spend at least four hours a day at Bunnings going up and down the aisles, (laughs) yes, paint, plaster, plumbing, power tools, maybe the pool aisle. And you have to be more creative in your search. Get off those apps. (laughs) I'm not in it. Well, I'm definitely not keen on the apps. I've really gone off them. I haven't told this story because I was chatting to this guy on, uh, we were chatting on Hinge and then we kind of, we started sending voice memos on text and then I got like a text at midnight one night, like, are you out on the town? And I was like, nah, nah, I'm not into this. And then I got a message like a week later, just ignoring the late night text. Anyway, I agreed to go for a walk with him and I had agreed to like an hour walk and he was like, an hour's not enough. And then I went back and said, oh, I go on our walks all the time, blah, blah, blah. And then he sent me the rudest voice memo and I started crying, mum. I was like, mm, I. You did. It was so rude. It was like, what have I done to you? I've never even met you. Who do you think you are sending me a rude voice memo? Anyway, mm, that was just. Done. I don't even know you. Anyway, I think it might have also been lockdown. People are very frustrated. People are pretty, yeah, pretty crabby. Taking their frustrations out on some random girl from Hinge, honestly. There's a family legend, which you may or may not have heard, that my great uncle met his second wife at a fancy car service centre and 
whether it was true or not, apparently she was just hanging around one day and she actually wasn't there for a car service. <laughs> so I was thinking of another thing is that you know Mercedes has a service centre in Richmond and it's got a really luxe-looking lounge. I often go past on my walks, so I reckon go in and if you get stopped, and I actually don't think you will, you'll just say you're meeting your partner there who's picking up a car and you just sit there, take advantage of the free mineral water, coffee and snacks for a couple of hours. Come on. No, I'm not. There's two good ideas. I'd rather be alone. But anyway, I'm not stopped. I'm not that desperate that I'm going <laughs> to no. hang out in Bunnings all day. Honestly, I'm waiting for Thailand to reopen. All right. Now, I want to change the topic because you got a delivery and I shook it from Booktopia. So I know <laughs> it's another puzzle. And you yep. told me when you started doing a thousand piece puzzles that it took you more than a week. So how long is that taking now? A thousand pieces can take two or three days now. And ha- how many hours? Over two or three days. 10 to 15 hours. Oh, dear. Does that sound like a lot? Well, I found something for you on Eventbrite that you might be interested in. Yes. You you might need to speed up a bit. It's the (laughs) National, I don't know how I come across these things, it's the National Jigsaw Puzzle Competition. Yes. So the aim is to complete a jigsaw puzzle in the shortest amount of time and there are two divisions. (laughs) Yeah. With the individual division, it says that there's no experience required and children must be accompanied by an adult, so I'm happy to come with. So the the first place, listen to this, in the individual is to return airfares to Europe in September 2022 to represent Australia at the World Jigsaw Puzzle Championships in Spain. I'm not that good. Yeah, okay. So I think you should enter. But this is the the (laughs) trick is you have three hours to assemble a 500-piece jigsaw puzzle. Oh, I could do do that for sure. Yeah, yeah, 500 pieces are so easy. So it's 20 bucks to enter. It's being held in November in Collingwood at the Town Hall at the perfect time for you at 3 p.m. So you'll be ready. So you can sleep in, get your Uber Eats coffee, and we'll be in Collingwood ready to rock. <laughs> Hopefully lockdown will be over. I bet you there's some hot guys at the um, puzzle competition. Well, you know. Yes. <laughs> well, you don't know. You don't know. You so never know. I want you, I want you, $20, I want you to enter and I will come with you. Okay. Sounds good to me. <laughs> sounds good. Three hours for a 500 piece, it does sound difficult. Like I think that would be pretty hard. Well, you're under pressure. You have to sort all the pieces. I have a 500 piece. I could test my skills out. Yeah, let's do a test and, and see, see if you if can I get can it do done it. in three hours. All right. Mm. I'll see how I go. <laughs> All being well in November. Anyway, Linda, that's it. Is that it? Because I, that ref- is, I Linda did this whole episode because I have got no brain power left in me. I don't have any will left to do anything. That's okay. You're allowed to have a week off. Do you know what I've been doing? I've been watching moving to Thailand videos. That's where oh, my head's dear. at. I've literally <laughs> been watching people who have moved to Thailand. I'm back on that bandwagon. That's okay. Just an FYI to all the listeners. So until the 17th of September, we are going to continue to do every fortnight because I have been a little bit incapacitated with this egg freezing. So we'll be back on the 17th with weekly episodes, but until then we'll see you fortnightly. So in two weeks, I'm going to take you through my entire egg freezing journey. Thank you. 
If you made it this far, I'm hoping that you enjoyed the podcast. If you could subscribe and leave a five-star rating and review, that would be much appreciated. It really helps other people find the podcast. Not that I'm desperate or anything. 